You're listening to the Monica Cade Podcast, an interview series featuring conversations that bring out your best. A chat to thought leaders, creative minds, athletes, and entrepreneurs doing what they love while challenging the status quo. The intention for this podcast is to have conversations that bring out your best. You can find the show notes on my website, monicacade.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Monica Cade. And if you enjoy this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. You'll be helping me achieve my mission to impact 200,000 lives in 2019. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Monica Cade podcast. Today, my guest is Elle Halliwell. She's a journalist, author, and mum. She keeps millions of Australians up to date on all things entertaining, healthy, and stylish, thanks to her work with the country's top media outlets. Her career has taken her overseas, reporting on global entertainment and fashion stories. She's interviewed international stars, including Angelina Jolie, Oprah Winfrey, Kate Blanchett, One Direction, Miranda Kerr, all for television, radio, and print. But in 2016, Elle made headlines herself. She revealed she was battling a rare blood cancer while pregnant with her first child. She's now a proud mum of Tor and is on the road to recovery. And I really look forward to sharing this episode with you today. So let's dive into the conversation. Hello, Elle. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. So our listeners got a short glimpse into your career and then your diagnosis with myeloid leukemia, a rare blood cancer in 2016, which I know that they're going to want to hear more about, but I thought maybe we could start with how you got your break in the media. Uh, Look, I was a really, really great coffee delivery girl in my (laughs) early days in the media. And I think that that's where a lot of um, media people have started. Um, you know, you just, you literally show your bosses that no matter what task it is, even the most menial, if you do it with love and passion, then, you know, that's going to roll over to, to when you're actually doing things that you really, really care about. So I would make sure that I got their orders every day really correct and went above and beyond whenever it came to doing any kind of menial task. And that was back when I was about 21 years old, uh, when I got a, a, I guess, a foot in the door at the Daily Telegraph. And then within a couple of months of me, you know, doing all of that, delivering papers and things like that, they um, they gave me a cadetship. And then it was only about six months after that that um, I managed to bag myself the fashion editor role at the Sunday Telegraph which I'm still kind of pinching myself that I, I got that leg up so early on in my career. I think I was 20, 22 or just 23 at that stage. So it was it was quite a, a big shock. And, you know, when I first got this gig, it was mainly just to kind of fill in until they found someone a little bit more experienced. But I, I knew that this was my chance, my opportunity to show them what I was made of. And I worked my butt off. I worked day and night to, to make sure that, they knew how much I wanted it. I dressed for the job that I wanted. And eventually they forgot that they were planning to uh, to find someone else. And so that's kind of how, I, you know, I got my first break. Obviously before that I had studied, I studied journalism at Maclay College as well. And I'd done an internship at Channel V for a year. It took quite a few years to finally get that put in the door. But once I got it, got it in there, I made sure that I squeezed my whole body in as well, through that door as much as possible. Yeah, and then, look, the rest is history in a way. Um, I, I stayed doing fashion for 
for quite a long time before I moved into uh, more of a showbiz role for a few years, which I also enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I, you know, I moved back into fashion again after a couple of years doing that, realizing that it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be full time. So. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, I ended up doing a little bit of both, which I loved. You know, I guess merging fashion and celebrity is quite a natural thing to do, talking about red carpets and celebrity style and things like that. So I had a little YouTube kind of channel with the telly called Code Red where we dissected red carpet outfits and had a bit of a chat about that, which was really fun. My uh, career's kind of taken me through a few different twists and turns, but um, yeah, I'm really happy where I am now, 12 years later. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's an exciting one. And it's cool that, you you know, today so many people change careers and I know yours has evolved over time, but it's cool to see that someone that's still in the same kind of industry, industry doing what they love to this day. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's actually I surprised myself because I never thought that I would be in a role for more than three years, let alone 12, I think it was, when I finally walked out of the, the Telegraph. So I got, you know, I got the plaque, I got the handshake and the gold pen after 10 years. Yeah, so I was really proud of that actually because, you you know, it is, it is quite rare and um, it was an amazing place to cut my teeth and, you know, refine my craft. And yeah, but it's very strange not to be part of the News Corp family, to be honest, because, Mm -hmm. you know, it it literally was somewhere that I spent half my life. Yeah, it's a new chapter. Very excited about what's to come. Do you feel like the younger generation now starting out is going to have such a completely different experience and probably not the same one that you had because the, the, the nature of media has changed so much? Absolutely. I was actually talking to someone about this the other day. I think the difference is nowadays you don't really need credentials per se to label yourself an expert. I mean, if you want to be a videographer, put some videos on YouTube and, you know, if you get a great following, then there you are, you're a videographer. Same with being a photographer, you know, or a health expert. You know, you used to kind of have to have a plaque on on your wall to do that. But nowadays, I guess so many industries are getting very diluted because it's so much easier to kind of get your foot in them. Mm. And while I don't think it's necessarily always a bad thing, I think it is really, it's, it's a bit of a shame that, you know, younger people don't have to do that hard slog to get it, to make a name for themselves in their industry in a way, because it really does show you, you know, it gives you that kind of groundwork and it lays that foundation for being a really really hard worker and knowing that things aren't just going to fall in your lap Mm. it takes a lot of time a lot of effort and I think if you want to stay at the top of your game you've really got to have that foundation you know really really strong otherwise either you get bored because you know you're you're no longer being stimulated as quickly as you know you might have been in you know in another sense Mm. um so yeah I think it, it is different but I think it's one of those things that as you get older, everyone's always, you know, banging on about <laughs> the good old days, not when I was a kid. And it, but it is true. I, I do feel like it's a lot harder for someone to really, really be successful in a, a creative industry than it was before. I think just because there's so many people out there doing it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like for me, you know, even being a freelancer that, um, you know, you used to get paid a certain amount per word and that was just kind of the deal. And nowadays, you know, with online, 
really, really, I guess, talented, esteemed writers are now sometimes having to work for half that because they know that someone else is just going to take that job. So it is, it's interesting, interesting where it's all moving. Before I jump into uh, your health journey, I wanted to find out during this time, just before you got diagnosed, what was your lifestyle like? Wow. It actually makes my heart beat faster and I get the sweats just thinking about it. It was just so full on. It was fast paced. I had by this stage been, you know, working full time at the newspaper, juggling a TV and radio gig as well um, for, you know, a few years before that and by this stage I had been suffering as well from really bad anxiety chronic anxiety for the best part of a decade Mm -hmm. and so I guess you could say that I worked hard and I also played hard you know as part of my job I was you know expected to be at parties most nights during the week and thing you know my I guess my health and well-being was definitely not a top priority for me at that time it was literally just getting ahead my my mindset was constantly on you know doing things harder and better and succeeding and I guess I you know thought I I probably would have just kept that up until you know I turned 30 and my whole world came crashing down and everything that I thought I knew suddenly realized that I didn't. So tell me about that moment for our listeners who maybe don't know your story and don't follow you on Instagram or maybe they haven't read your book yet which we will dive into a bit later into the conversation. Can you tell us what that experience is like from the inside? Yeah, absolutely. Basically, I was planning with my husband to conceive that year, if possible. I just turned 30. He was in his mid-30s and we've been together for about 10 years. And so for me, I thought with, I guess, my, my lifestyle at the time, I didn't think that I was primed for baby making. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to tackle this as a, you know, a bit of a project and I'm going to, you know, read the baby nutrition books and make sure that my body is in the best place to, you know, to carry a child. Mm-hmm. And so I, I read a few books and I was told, you know, in these books that it's really a great idea to go and get some blood tests to make sure that your, fol- your folate and your vitamin D is all at a good level. So one day I um, wore, I went to a French restaurant one night and the next day I got the worst bout of gastro and <laughs> I was off work for about three days. And so I went to the doctor to get a doctor's certificate and I said, look, while I'm here, I know it's a bit early because we're not planning to kind of try for a baby until later in the year, but I want to get my folate and vitamin D and you know, just give me the whole gamut of uh, blood tests just to make sure that I'm nice and healthy and well. Mm. So they came back with a, a bit of a red flag and that was that my platelets were high. And our platelets generally kind of rise following an infection. And because of the gastro, my, my doctor's like, look, it's probably nothing to worry about because, because you had this gastro. So he said, come back in two weeks and we'll test you again. So I went back in two weeks and my platelets were higher. And so he thought that was a bit concerning. So um, he sent me to a hematologist and, you know, in between getting that, that test and going to see the hematologist, I, you know, I really wasn't thinking much about it because Fashion Week was coming up. I had all of these stories to write. Um, you know, I had the radio gig. So, you know, my life was so full on that I didn't give it a second thought. And then um, I went and saw the hematologist, got all the tests done. And then um, they said, 
come back in about three weeks and we've got the test results and we'll let you know. So I didn't really think much of it the next day, but then I got a phone call that very next morning from, from the hematology department saying that they'd gotten my test results back sooner than expected and they were, were going to need me to come in and bring a loved one to an appointment first thing Monday morning. And this was on a Thursday. And, you know, you don't get told to bring a loved one to, you know, to the doctor if it's nothing. <laughs> no, so you don't. I had a meltdown and because I knew that there was something wrong. And up until this point, I'd felt tired. But that was really it. There really wasn't any strong sign that anything was wrong. And look, like everyone, after I'd kind of gotten these high platelets, I Googled a bit and there, there were mentions of things like blood cancer and stuff. And I ticked, I, you know, crossed off all of the, the symptoms. I was like, don't have that, don't have that, don't have that. But then I finally uh, managed to get a hold of my GP and he came over that night because, you know, I was hysterical. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know, you know, what was wrong with me. And he, he came over and he break, broke the news to me and my husband that I, that I actually had leukaemia, yeah, chronic myeloid leukaemia. And that was when, yeah, as I said before, my whole world just kind of fell apart in that split second. It's amazing what one word can do to change your whole life. And yeah, it was it was really devastating. And I think for a lot of people, when you when you say the word leukemia, if you haven't had anyone close to you who who have had the type that I have, you know, you instantly just see like someone like pale and sick and wasting away in a hospital bed with no hair. You know, mm. it was and that's what instantly came to my mind and you know you have all these thoughts about oh my god who am I going to give my shoe collection to uh, you know <laughs> these weird things kind of come to mind you think oh my god that's so ridiculous <laughs> um, so yeah there was tears and that yeah it was it was kind of I was in a lot of shock and then um about two days later by this time we kind of told our family and friends about you know what you know what I'd been diagnosed with and that was just that was even harder. So yeah, it was it was really really difficult having to tell your friends and family that you've got a blood cancer and you really don't know what's going on or what the future's going to hold. And then on the Saturday, I had this weird gut feeling that I should take a pregnancy test. Now I I bought a two pack, and two weeks before I'd taken the test just because we there was a bit of a you know an accident and I just wanted to make sure that um you know that I wasn't pregnant and it came back negative so mm. I kind of wrote that off but I thought look what could be the worst situation following a cancer diagnosis and I thought <laughs> getting pregnant <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you can imagine what was on that test I was pregnant that kind of just opened up a whole new can of worms because now not only was I having to deal with, you know, the fight of my life, but also wondering whether or not this baby that we've been wanting mm. was going to survive. And so it was a really, really scary time because, you know, in my mind I was like, well, I have a, a decision to make if this baby survives past that first trimester, which I was pretty sure it wouldn't. And, yeah, I had to, I had to really think hard about, what I would do when we got to that point, if we got to that point. Just the, the cancer in itself is such a huge shock. I imagine like you were in shock for a while. Do you feel that being in such a high, I guess, I don't, I don't have a better word for high pressure, but situation, it forces you to be more present? Oh my gosh. That is 
the biggest thing that happened to me in terms of changing my life from a from a mental point of view mm-hmm. because when your whole future is taken away from you or what you think is your future is completely taken away from you there is absolutely no choice but to be present mm. because you're grasping for every second that you can you know to spend with you know your loved ones mm. like everything it counts and that was the one thing that I, I kind of realized I looked back and I was like all of those, you know, really important milestones that I missed of my friends and family because I was working or, you know, I couldn't go because I had a deadline to meet and I felt such a sense of regret mm. when I thought about that. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I, I really vowed to myself that I was never going to be that person again mm. that put her work and her career and herself before you know, the people in in my life that I loved. And I think, you know, this is a bit of a revelation to me, you know, following that, that because it made me think, well, if that's how I'm going to be in my life going forward, then shouldn't I start with this baby? You know, shouldn't I put my loved ones first? Yeah. And so that's, that was one of the biggest, biggest reasons that, you know, after, a few more consultations, my husband and I, we did a lot of soul searching and it was going to be tough because it would have meant that the life-saving treatment that my doctor wanted me to be on was going to be delayed until I had this baby. And so it was really, really scary, but we decided that, you know, we wanted this baby so much. And so that's, that's the decision that, you know, I ultimately had to make and I, I decided to to not terminate the baby and go straight on treatment um, and delay it until I could hopefully give birth. Do you feel that in once you made that decision, do you feel that all your energy kind of went into ensuring his, I guess, best chances and did that then take away maybe some of the focus on yourself? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because... My anxiety, which I mentioned before, I've battled for 10 years, it went away shortly after my diagnosis. And a lot of people kind of, you know, whenever I've said that to them, they think I'm a bit crazy. But it's so true because all of a sudden I was living in the moment. I didn't have to worry about the future and, you know, be anxious about paying bills. And I had this incredible support around me, these friends and this these family who were protecting me from the, you know, the bullshit Mm. of daily life you know all of the pressures that we have to face every day the washing you know paying bills I don't know all of those other things that you kind of get caught up in you know the busy but unimportant things yeah and so I was essentially in this wonderful bubble Mm. because all I needed to do was look after myself and look after this growing baby Mm. and it really was quite momentous because for the first time in my life I didn't have to worry about anything except myself and being there for this growing little human. Mm. And it was, it was beautiful. I went for long walks and I nourished my body and I meditated and I, the self care really was something that that was another thing that I said to myself, if I get through this, I realized for the first 
on how important it was to put yourself first if you you know if you're going to be around for others yeah oh yeah I I completely agree with you and I think it's I can't obviously compare I haven't had a life-threatening situation like that I know I've had my own health journey and I can I guess the thing that I can kind of relate with you on is the fact that health is such a huge part of our lives and in and in my own experience I realized like if I didn't have my health then what could I achieve? You know, what could I do? Who could I, you know, spend time with? Like when your health is taken away from you, it's, it's really just the foundation of us. And I think when we go through experiences like that, it really helps us to, I guess, foster that appreciation for, you know, being able to go out and do whatever it is that we love and, and how important it is to nourish that. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. It doesn't have to be cancer. It can be a chronic pain. Mm. It can be autoimmune disease. It doesn't, you know, I think that a lot of time people think, oh, my God, cancer. But I think a lot of people don't realise how incredible the advancements in not only our own knowledge on health and how to stay healthy, but also you know, the, the medical community's advancements um, in, you know, saving lives of people with cancer. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, I look at someone who might have diabetes or, as I said before, chronic pain, and I really feel like we all share that same journey and because you realise at that point when you're at rock bottom mentally and physically how important your health is and you you know at at certain points you just go I would give everything in my life to have that health back you know that I enjoyed in my you know younger younger days it really is the most important thing yeah I agree with you I think one thing I just felt to add for our listeners that maybe because I think it's really hard to you know it's easy to hear something like that but say there's someone that's listening and that maybe they are pretty healthy or they haven't had that experience or they don't value their health in some way it's like just really focused in on you know what you do have and taking that attention away from like what you don't I think that really helps you deepen that level of appreciation absolutely I yes I really think that it's so important to live a life of gratitude because you're instantly putting your mindset in abundance, not lack. Mm. And I think you're constantly feeling lack, then Mm. that can seep into every aspect of your life. So if you come from a place of abundance, it's really hard to feel down on yourself Mm. because you're appreciative of everything and it does put everything into perspective. So much. Now in your book, you talk about identity and the fact that your life was threatened so so many parts of you fell away can you maybe talk a little bit about what those insights were around that yeah absolutely my true true nature and I think that when you're young it's really hard to to get to that point to get to that core of who you are because especially in this day and age we're surrounded by people telling you that you need to be this or you need to be that or you know you're you're only worthy if you're this size or you have this car or you do this job and you know I think I'm not alone in saying that my 20s I was completely lost in my identity I thought that if I had what looked like the perfect career then that would equal the perfect life Mm. Um, but I constantly found myself wanting 
because I wasn't nourishing myself with connection and with community and you know physically I wasn't nourishing my body Mm. and all of those aspects of it I think were the reason that I developed this anxiety because I was like, why isn't this working? Why am I not 100% happy? Why do I keep wanting more and more and more? And, you know, I would kick these, what I thought were these goals and and just feel like it wasn't enough. Mm. And uh, I guess once I, once I got sick, I had the time and the distance from all of that to really look into myself and analyze what my values were, what you know, why, why was I here? Like what, what did I want people to say in my eulogy, Mm. you know, other than, oh, she had this many Instagram followers. Mm. Like, of course, they're not going to say that. They're going to talk about what you, who you were as a person, what you believed in, what you valued. And that was quite, oh, that was, it was hard. It was really, um, I felt very exposed. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like, I'd wasted so much time chasing someone else's life, chasing someone else's dream and kind of pushing my own down maybe because I didn't feel like it was worthy. And so it was kind of, yeah, when, when I had that, that time to do some soul searching that I realized that I needed to change my life. And I I really have done that. I think from a person, you know, who for for many years I was chasing down celebrities and asking them, you know, who they were sleeping with and, you know, if they'd had a nose job and things like that, that I, you know, I'm a, I'm a very gentle person by nature. You know, Mm. I've always been, you know, a fairly soft person and that took a lot out of me. You know, it, it just didn't feel, didn't feel right, but I knew that, I had to be quite ruthless to get ahead in, in the role that I had. And so I just kind of bottled up, I guess, who I was and I put on a bit of a shit, like a bit of an armour, I guess, an emotional armour to cope with it. Yeah. And I didn't like the person that I'd become. Like I didn't like me. If I thought if I'd met me in another life, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like me. And I thought, well, who would I like? And I, I, you know, I look back to when I was a child and what I loved and what nourished me and what gave me joy. And, um, and yeah, and that was being in nature, spending time with family, friends, being alone. You know, I loved being by myself and I loved more quiet and more slow life. And I also loved helping people. You know, I loved helping animals, you know, I was a, mm-hmm. um, you know, a big animal lover when I was younger. And, you know, when I decided that I was going to really focus on changing, changing my life and going back to, I guess, the core of who I was, that was one of the things I was like, well, I feel like this has given me a bit of a, a kick up the ass <laughs> in a way yeah. um, to find my purpose. And, and that I think going forward is to be an example of, of, I guess, living a, a more, true to yourself life mm. uh, and also helping others with with their their health journey and it, it is a really fulfilling feeling to to know your purpose and why you're here it, it was quite uh, a momentous moment when I when I got to that point mm. I was going to ask you for listeners 
who might not particularly be too fond of themselves, you know, what would you suggest that they do? And in that that the piece of dialogue that you just shared with us then, though, you said a very beautiful thing, like if you've met yourself in another life, would you like who you are? And I think that question in itself, it really helps us to take ourselves away from who we think we are to really see ourselves for who we are. And I think that's such a powerful question for the listeners to ask if, if they're experiencing like similar feelings to yourself and I think you don't have to go through a huge life-threatening experience to ask yourself that question so true I think two you know fairly easy exercises to do to you know to help you get to this point is, is first of all as I said before really think about if you did die what would people say in your eulogy? What did you? What would you want people to say about you? You know, in their eulogy. And another thing I think as well is is to look back to your childhood and to who you were before. You know, the influences of the world kind of mm. got in the way. What did you love as a kid? What you know, who who did you like to spend time with? What did you like to do? And I really think that the, we're born with a certain personality. And I think it's very much nature when it comes to who we are as people. And I think, you know, nurture from our parents when we're younger is definitely a big part. But then I think that, you know, as we get older and, you know, we get all of that marketing and, uh, you know, the advertising and people telling you to do this or be like that, I think that it can really get quite complicated. So get introspective, write down what your values are and, and think, am I living in line with those values or am I putting other things first? Mm. And it is, it's a big step to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to live by my values now because sometimes it is often not in line with how you're living and yeah, there's a lot of soul searching to be done. So they're probably my, my two tips on if you want to get closer to who you really are. And you have a beautiful quote in the book, like towards the end, which I read because I finished it off last night and I have written it down because I was just so moved by this and, and it relates to what we're talking about now. So do you mind if I share it with everybody? Absolutely. So, so you said cancer had peeled back the superficial layers I had created over the years. And I finally saw myself as I truly was. And I liked that person much more. She was kinder, more vulnerable, more soft, but she was also fierce, powerful, and fearless. She was love. And even now, just reading it again, I've got goosebumps. I was so moved by that. And I really, and I feel like the fact that I'm moved again by it, it shows that the place that that came from is you know, that is who you are being now. You know, I think it's easy to say I'm this and that these days, but when it's true, people feel that. It's so true. And the funny thing is it's effortless. Mm. Before I felt like I was constantly trying, you know, I was trying to do this and, you know, everything felt like such an effort. Mm. But now that I'm just living from more of a place of my values, things just seem to kind of fall into place a little bit better. Like the universe is kind of like, oh, God, now you're doing what we wanted you to do. Now you're living (laughs) the life that you should. And opportunities have started to open up in the spaces that really feel more in line with who I am. And, And now when, you know, something that doesn't happen that I really want, yeah, rather than kind of, you know, shake my fist at the universe and go, how dare you? I go, okay, so there's a reason for this and it's because that's not what I'm destined to do. Mm -hmm. And I think 
feeling like that and going with the flow a little bit more and realizing that, you know, obstacles are sometimes just the universe guiding you to towards another path that you're more destined towards is a good thing. And so I'm, I'm a lot less disappointed nowadays when things don't go my way, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Living more in the flow of it. It, it is, it becomes such an effortless experience. And when we're not fighting and resisting life, thinking that because it, it's funny we look at life and we think oh it's not going how it's supposed to go according to the idea we have in our heads so it's all made up all that pressure is is like just based on what we think absolutely and yeah even physically like I've I had a couple of drinks the other night and I you know I'm not a big drinker these days at all you know I love a glass of wine occasionally hmm. but I got really really sick after and I realized well clearly it's not supposed to be having that you know and so I really think that now I listen to my body a lot more and I pick up on its cues and I think that that's been really important too so it's not just physical or it's not just mental it's physical too yeah beautiful so tell me a little bit about Tor what's it like being a mother to him (laughs) oh my god I yeah he's just (laughs) uh, I I don't know it's see I I can't even put it in words yeah just I don't know it's like yeah your heart's outside your body Mm. and he's just the most divine little soul and the more that he's growing the more I'm falling in love with him because he's just I guess watching him now interacting with the world is incredible you know Mm. when they're born they're just they're, they're really cute and you know they're fun but once they start kind of interacting with you it really does change the game um so much energy we call him the tornado (laughs) i love that (laughs) cannot sit sit still he's definitely his uh, dad's son because i was a little bit more chilled as a baby Uh Uh, but he really he just lights up our lives i can't really put into words because every day is just Oh my God, it's a mixture of challenge and wonder and joy and frustration. And it's literally, I've never been through so many emotions in one day since I had tour. It's been quite the ride. And um, yeah, it really just changes the game. You learn to be so much more, you know, selfless Mm -hmm. and patient. And I guess you, yeah, you, you want to be a good role model for them. And that starts, you know, from the day they're born, really. So that's the, the responsibility is quite daunting, to mm. be honest. But I'm willing to take the challenge. Here wow. we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's such a beautiful, I guess, gift after having gone through such a, uh, you know, life-changing and challenging experience as well. And and then you have this beautiful baby on the other side of it. I, yeah, it must be amazing. It is. Uh, but one thing that, look, I, I haven't spoken about this before, but obviously I made this choice based on, you know, the situation that I was in at the time to have this baby. And there was definitely a lot, as I said, of soul-searching and consultations with medical professionals and things like that. And I guess the, the other day I, I read a news story about a young girl who was only 19 and she was from New South Wales and she was, I think, halfway through her pregnancy and she got diagnosed with a different blood cancer to me mm-hmm. and she decided that she was going to keep the baby and delay treatment and she, she ended up passing and also lost the baby. Mm. 
And the moment that I heard that, I thought to myself, oh, my God, please do not let it have been me who inspired her to do that because obviously, you know, I had to make this decision, but I realised that everyone is in a different situation. Yeah. And it really broke my heart and I was racked with guilt and I, I guess in a way, you know, I still feel it's hard not to feel a sense of kind of responsibility. So I just want to make sure that everyone out there who is listening and who might have been in a similar situation or might face that situation, it's a personal decision and you really have to get a lot of information, a lot of knowledge and make that that decision yourself Mm. rather than listening to other people because I was so lucky that everything worked out for me. But I've heard many stories where it hasn't been the same, you know, situation. So... That's been really tough, actually, to deal with. I imagine so, because I, I I can see how, you know, when we do hear stories like yours, it is amazing and, and it can be, someone can take that and feel inspired and say, I'm going to do this too. And having read the book, I know as well in your story, you share how someone who went through a similar experience mm-hmm. as you you were about to connect with this woman, but she said that you needed to make your decision about the baby, keeping the baby or not before you guys spoke. So she wouldn't influence you either way, which I thought was very, very thoughtful and such a, you know, I think to be aware of, of that responsibility that you could potentially influence somebody's decision. I think that was very big of her to do that. And yeah, so I guess to our listeners, you were educated and, and lots of soul searching. So yeah, it really does come down to the situation's different Mm. and you have to not worry about what everyone else thinks. You've got to make a decision based on, on you. And that comes, you know, that relates to so many different aspects of life, right? Try, try to kind of make those decisions based on, on yourself and, and your own thoughts and your own information. Yeah, totally. And, and it doesn't have to be big life decisions either. It can be something that might be a bit smaller, but how often do individuals kind of go and see like, oh, what do you think I should do? Like that, it's like, well, what would you love to do? What do you feel is best for you? What does your body tell you? I feel like our bodies often speak to us, but it's really about, you know, developing that connection with them and really tuning in, like you also mentioned. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that comes with age and experience too. Gosh, yes. (laughs) Older and wiser. (laughs) That's right. We will be doing a book giveaway of your book. So for our listeners, you'll have to check the show notes to find out how you can enter the giveaway if you'd like to do that. But if people would like to connect with you or purchase a copy of your book, where would you like to send them? Okay, well, they can purchase my book at Booktopia or All Good Bookstores. It's called A Mother's Choice, published by Alan and Unwin. And, uh, yeah, look, uh, Monica, you're, you're a great testament to, uh, to what you thought of the book. What, what were your thoughts? I really enjoyed it. It was really, I saw aspects of myself in your story and I thought, gosh, you know, in some parts particularly, it really forced me to kind of stop and go, oh, you know, like, what is important and and how would I have dealt with this kind of a situation and just, you know, just because you don't, you go through life like thinking, well, you don't think about it. You just, you know, you assume you have another day, another moment and I often practice, you have this moment and just be here and are you living all the things that you love and I think this book 
kind of encourages people to do that, not in a direct words way, but just sharing your life experience. And even one thing you mentioned, you talk about your relationship with your dad and I I don't want to spoil the story for our listeners, but you know, you talked about how you guys didn't talk for a certain amount of time and there was something that really resonated with me in that particular section. I was like, oh, you know, you just hold these little like grudges sometimes, especially with family, like they irritate you. And then you're like, why am I doing this? This is so silly, you know? So they were some of my experiences, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, I think everyone can take away something for themselves from it. Thanks for that. That was a great review. <laughs> 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 you want to be my publicist? <laughs> Let's have a conversation. <laughs> awesome. uh, so before we finish off the conversation, I have a few signature questions I ask my guests. So the first question is sunset or sunrise and why? Sunset. I've always had an obsession with twilight. Look, I like the books, but just that time of the evening when you kind of, it's a time of reflection and I love it. And if you could attempt another career, what would you like to attempt? Oh, that's tough. Oh my God. There's so many. I literally could, anything (laughs) that you could throw at me, I'd love to give it a shot. Um, But I think I would love to be a zoo keeper. Mm. something to do with animals anything to do with animals yeah awesome and what does being your best look like to you being my best I think going back to what we're talking about earlier is being in the moment and appreciating the moments beautiful awesome well that wraps up our conversation for today Elle thank you so much for joining me thanks so much Monica could have talked for hours with you (laughs) (laughs) thanks again (laughs) 